Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Richie. Beyond Walker. Pugh. Pugh! That'll do it! That will do it! Pugh for Bournemouth! The roof of the gold sands is raised! Everyone here knows what that could mean to this football club. Well, hello there, and welcome to episode 37 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. My name's Sam Davis. And my name's Michael Dunn. Michael, it's really great to have you on again. Uh, Sean is off this week. He's a little bit poorly, I hear, so uh, fingers crossed he'll be feeling much perkier soon. But anyway, thanks for filling in. It seems like an eternity since our beloved Cherries were in action last time, doesn't it? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, actually. It's uh, like withdrawal at the moment, and the next two games are away. Uh, I'm not going to either of those, unfortunately. One's on the telly, the other I might watch on a dodgy stream. But yeah, there's not been enough cherry action, although hopefully the break and uh, the break in Madrid has done the team good. Yeah, that's right. So here's what's coming up on this week's show. We'll be going over the last match at Dean Court, where it seems that optimism has outdone pessimism for the first time in a long while. Yes, we lost, but there were some green shoots of encouragement there. Michael will sum up the best of the action in his match report, and then we'll also hear from the fans in the fan thoughts. Then Michael and I will have our own thoughts about the game before we take in the club news, which this week features Harry Arter, Josh King, our own podcast plans for next season, and some online controversy. Well, it's been an interesting week in football. You'll recall a few weeks back where Michael romanticised about the cup, only for us to get knocked out to Millwall. And last weekend, we had a break due to the aforementioned tournament, and... 
Whilst it's irrelevant for us, tell that to the people of Lincoln and Sutton. It's been a crazy few days where Burnley got knocked out at the hands of the mighty imps and then Sutton ran Arsenal close only for the whole plucky effort to be undermined by the overzealous media reaction over a man who tucked into a pie. Michael and I will discuss the events gone by. We then go on to preview our next match against West Brom. However, before all that, it's time for a bit of Do You Remember? And this week, we'll make it accessible to all, as this is fairly recent. So, two goals are featured, and I just want you to tell me the game that they were scored in. his wall carefully referee Pawson is still making sure they're all in the right spot 20 minutes plus a little bit more to go Cherries with an excellent set piece opportunity here to find the back of the net and break the deadlock still Jan Kermigant's not happy with where the wall are who's taking charge of this then Kermigant runs up to it it's him it's over the wall it's a Jan Kermigant beauty it's an absolute parlour from the Frenchman David Stockdale took off and now 2,000 Cherries fans are taking off out of their seats into the aisles. Kerber get a quiet game but a big goal. 1-0 Cherries. Big 10 minutes this in the context of the Cherries season. Uh, plays centre half and then he tries Cinderace. to treat Kermigan. Kermigan scoops it over the top looking for Wilson. Halford with an awkward looking challenge. Wilson checks back onto his left foot. Room to shoot. Back onto his right. Still room yes. to shoot. And surely that's enough. Surely that's enough for the Cherries to go four points clear at the top of the championship as Callum Wilson run for David Stockdale and the Cherries have some clear water. So there we go, ladies and gentlemen. That was this week's Do You Remember? And like I said earlier, I think it's probably a relatively easy one. Uh, Michael, a couple of goals there. Did you guess the game? Yeah, I think I've got it. Um, actually, it was the, the mention of David Stockdale that, uh, that did it for <laughs> yeah. me. So, uh, yeah, hopefully I've got the right game. Yeah, you definitely have. I was trying to think of a way to cut him out, but uh, I think uh, the commentator, Chris Temple, said him two or three times, so uh, I couldn't really get around that. But uh, hopefully you <laughs> at home or wherever you're listening have got that as well. And myself and Michael will go over it at the end of the show. Yeah, so last week we were all at the Vitality under the lights with many expecting... Uh, well, an annihilation from the Sky Blues, but after a decent showing, Cherry showed the fans that there could well be some light at the end of the tunnel, as Michael this week explains in his match report. Our beloved Cherry suffered a third consecutive Premier League defeat on Monday night at the hands of star-studded Manchester City. Despite this reverse, the evening was not entirely bleak as aspects of our performance provided the Cherry Nation with renewed hope that we can turn results around before it's too late. Eddie Howe spent the days leading up to the match leaking rumours that Charlie Daniels, Adam Smith and Simon Francis were injured, so it came as no surprise to anyone when all three appeared on the team sheet to form the first choice back four with Steve Cook. Jordan Ives' recent recognition of passing as a fundamental requirement of a footballer saw him handed his first start since early November, with Dan Gosling dropping to the bench. 
Bournemouth started the game with an intensity that's been noticeably absent in our recent performances at Dean Court. We pressed high and denied City space and when in possession were noticeably quicker to get the ball forward. After a quarter of an hour, City suffered a blow when Gabriel Jesus was forced to depart the contest after coming off worse in a challenge with Steve Cook. Banny thoughts amongst the faithful that this would aid the Cherries' cause were rapidly extinguished by the sight of Sergio Aguero emerging from the visitors' bench. Keen to make the most of his elevation to the first eleven, Jordan Ibe was giving Fernandinho a torrid time in spells during the first half, most notably when on 19 minutes he burst down the right wing, exchanged passes with Jack Wilshire and found himself one-on-one with Willie Caballero. Unfortunately, Jordan remembered that the crowd expected him to carelessly lose position every time he had the ball and saw his attempt to round the Argentinian goalkeeper blocked by the toe of the glove man's boot. A decent first quarter shown by our idols in red and black came to a sudden end when Captain Simon Francis followed Jesus off the pitch after suffering a recurrence of the hamstring injury most people thought was a figment of Eddie Howe's imagination. He was replaced by Tyrone Mings, a man for whom the phrase thrown in at the deep end could have been invented, and we were never quite the same for the rest of the contest. Leroy Sane was a persistent threat down the right wing, and after leaving Adam Smith on a twisted heap on the floor, found Bournemouth's tormentor-in-chief Raheem Sterling, whose shot looked certain to open the scoring, but deflected off Steve Cook onto Arta Boric's post. Soon after, Cook was not so lucky when his attempted block on another Sane cross only saw the ball fall straight at the feet of Sterling, who could not miss from inside the six-yard box. Whilst the majority of those in attendance were still muttering to themselves, it's a shame, because we started quite well. Bournemouth had the ball in the back of the city net. From the kick-off, Jordan and I found Josh King in the penalty area, and the Norwegian finished first time with summer plomb. This led to about ten seconds of the kind of unconfined glee I have missed so much this season, but emerging from the delirium, it was obvious the goal had been disallowed from our players standing in the city half with their hands on their hips. Very few people, including the linesman and possibly even referee Neil Swarbrick, knew what had happened, but television replays showed that King had pulled John Stones back as he charged towards the ball, leading to a decision that Eddie Howe later conceded was correct. City looked to extend their lead before half-time, with David Silva and Aguero going close and Sterling assisting the linesman in creating a novel interpretation of the offside law. Our chances of finding a way back into the game took a further blow just before half-time when Jack Wilshire, who had been quiet since picking up a knock earlier in the game, was unable to continue and was replaced by Benny Kofobe. After the break, the Chos returned with renewed vigour, but for all our energetic attacking intent, we could not threaten Caballero's net. Harry Arter came closest when he drew a decent save from the City goalkeeper after Benny Kofobe had found the Irish international with an incisive diagonal pass. Every time City did gain possession, they swept forward looking for all the world that they would score. Only impressive work by our much maligned defence as a whole, and Steve Cook in particular kept them at bay until the 70th minute when Pep Guardiola's side doubled their lead. Sterling beat Smith and sent a low cross into the six-yard box where Aguero and Mings duelled for the ball. Sadly for Tyrone, Aguero got the first touch and then the ball hit our centre-back's boot which unwittingly guided the ball past Boritz. It was another blow for Ming's fragile confidence, and when he meekly surrendered possession to Sane in a dangerous position a few minutes later, it looked fatal. Fortunately, Sane thundered the ball against the crossbar, and Ming's breathed a hefty sigh of relief. The remainder of the game saw City retain possession with ease as we struggled to maintain our all-action approach in the last 15 minutes. Keeping the score at 2-0 felt like a moral victory of sorts at the final whistle, although no points were awarded for suffering defeat in these circumstances. 
A break of almost two weeks now looms, with the majority of the squad jetting off to Madrid for a sunshine break. Fingers crossed this little Bino will have the opposite effect of that to our trip to Dubai last season, and a much-needed upturn in our fortunes will ensue. A very accurate view of events at the Vitality. Cheers, Michael, and uh, remember you can follow Michael here on Twitter at all departments. Stay tuned to be hearing his views of the game. Off the record, that is. Now, remember, after every single AFC Bournemouth game, we love to get your puns. And after a defeat, I must say, it's very difficult to inspire you guys. But Steve Wright came up with a corker. He'd obviously been on the comedic juice. And he came up with Sterling Work by Raheem & Co. Gives Bournemouth the Monday Night Blues again. Well done there, Steve. He also came up with a song suggestion, which we're going for this week, along with a, another person who suggested it too. But we also had one from Tony Maycock, who said, I reckon with the moon out, Pep and Harry loving Shawadawadi under the moon of love. Brilliant stuff. But the winner this week is going to go to Matt Callahan and Steve Wright, who jointly suggested Blue Monday by New Order very apt so we've got thoughts of Matt from AFCB TV and a bit from Eddie and Pep Guardiola himself but first here's some emailed written words from Steve Wright after recent performances and although it was another loss there were positives to take from this game we had a back four together on the pitch again who knew each other, although not for long. We pressed well, the crowd got behind the team. They looked dangerous on the wings, with Sterling and Sane. Unlucky deflection took the ball through to Sterling for their first. Our equaliser was rightly ruled out. Thought we had a right go at them in the second half, but their second goal killed us off. Worth mentioning the injuries to Frano and Jack, as well as losing two players. It also limited Eddie's choice in bringing on subs to replace tired legs in the second half. They play out from the back so well, inviting you to press them. They then pass through you, leaving several players out of position. So quick in transitions with Silva and De Bruyne finding room in the midfield. Much better performance. That's hopefully given the fans, and more importantly the players, some much-needed confidence for the rest of the season. Very good game. I feel like we've brought more intensity into the game than previous and I feel like we are getting there, but yes, it was, again, it was against Man City, so we weren't gonna, I weren't predicting coming through, but 2-0 was better than first expected. We are still 14 from the table, but we have, haven't won since the Swansea game on the 31st, on New Year's Eve. Um, it's looked very, very drab these last few games. Um, So we play a good game in one of the toughest games away. I know Bournemouth how tough they are. So, but except ten minutes the second half when they push a lot and we control and our build up is much much better. Every player is more in the position, and uh, and I'm so happy for all the players because they played a, a really good performance. Well, I thought we, we gave our best. I thought Manchester City were, were very good, kept the ball very well. Um, and we found it difficult to build any momentum and pressure. Um, but in terms of effort and commitment, I think our lads gave everything. And obviously we're hampered by the injuries we received in the first half. Well, I think both players, losing both players within one half of football is um, a huge blow when you lose your captain. 
and he's been really important for us for a number of years. Um, that was a, a big moment in the game, and then to lose a player, Jack's quality um, was a was a real blow. We were reorganised, and um, we had our go, had a go, but um, ultimately they were too good. So thank you to everyone who contributed to the fan thoughts and the song choices there. And as Michael said, Manchester City there moved up to second in the Premier League with what we would call a hard-fought victory over the Cherries at the Vitality Stadium. Sergio Aguero was on target and uh, he came on very early and everyone was thinking, oh my goodness, it's 14 minutes gone and they've brought him on. And um, we're recording this a bit later on, as we usually do, because it's usually a couple of, sort of days after the game. Um, Michael, can I just ask, did you see the Manchester City game last night? Um, no, I didn't. I was actually, pl- well, I said playing football. I was trying to play football <laughs> last night myself. So I missed the, the goal fest there. But um, I think that it sounds like Monaco and City were just trading goals. I think Monaco missed a penalty as well. It wasn't quite like that in our game, was it? No, no, not at all. So it's Raheem Sterling, as you said, that opened the scoring. And then uh, Aguero stroke Mings got the second one but we were all expecting well not all of us but many of us especially on the social media forums and facebook and twitter and on vitals were all expecting a thrashing but it didn't end up like that and what were your sort of overriding feelings when you came away from dean court yeah overall i think when the game ended i felt that it wasn't as bad as i feared it's been a long time since probably about five years since i've gone down to dean court feeling so pessimistic yeah. about our chances in a game. Um, but we didn't roll over. We didn't get thrashed. We've been beaten by four clear goals by them every single time we played them until the most recent game. I mean, it isn't uh, much to celebrate losing 2-0. But overall, I thought the performance was better. It was a shame that Francis had to go off. I think having that, what you would call our normal back four, who hadn't played together, I didn't realise, since November um, in situ, helped us. We have got issues defensively but going forward until the end of the season at least I'd be happy to see those four starting every game if fit and available Um, and I did think that made a difference I also thought there was a lot less of the sideways slow passing and a little bit more getting the ball forward quicker which was you know looking to pay some dividends Um, ultimately it didn't I mean we lost Jack as well on uh, just on half time like you said Aguero came on because uh, Jesus or Jesus went off and you thought oh they're losing their their main striker and you see Sergio Aguero waiting to come on (laughs) tells you everything you need I think their bench was worth something like 150 million and um, and and of course we had the disallowed goal yes which I think I mentioned in the match report Uh, that was a real you know, high, but only for a very brief amount of time. And, you know, there's been times over the past few years when we've had quite a lot of that and you're kind of on a high for days afterwards. It must release some kind of endorphin or serotonin or something. And, um, yeah, it was just a shame. I mean, having seen the replay, he did pull him back. Although there seems to be a bit of confusion as to who actually gave the decision. But anyway, I think probably ultimately that wouldn't have made much difference. So, yeah, at the end, and then maybe later on I thought, well, you don't get anything for losing 2-0, and it's just a shame that, you know, we hadn't picked up points in the other games. And also, the way we played, particularly in the first half against City, was a shame there wasn't a bit more of that against Hull, Palace and Watford, for example. 
Yeah, I completely agree with that. And the people on Twitter as well, um, just reading through some of the tweets that we received, um, Robert Murphy thought we played a little better than the last few games. Some positives apart from the injuries, obviously. Now we'll go over those a little bit later on. Paul Kenwood said it was an improvement, just their team had more quality than us. We did look leggy towards the end. The injuries could be worrying. And uh, in terms of the injuries, uh, obviously we'll talk about this a bit later on, but um, do you think they... Do you think they affected our our performances much when you sort of compare the first half to the second half? Um, I think France is going off. The game, we were never quite the same. It was quite early on, wasn't it? It wasn't long after Jesus went off. And yeah. he, um, we, we were looking okay at the back. And, and they were looking very determined and, 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 and very on it. Uh, and Mings, who I think, as I probably said in that match report, has really been thrown to the lines. He's playing... In a team that he's hardly ever played for, you know, with like, so he's not really used to playing with any of those players, although they, obviously they played together in training. He's, he's been played in a position that he's hardly ever played in. And not only that, he's been asked to do it in the Premier League. It's not like he's been asked to do it in the Championship or League One. And, and so it's no surprise that he doesn't look like he really is ready. Mm. Um, and, and so after that, I thought we defended a bit deeper and we looked a bit more vulnerable. Um, Jack going off. Uh, Jack, he was playing okay. Um, he's, he's obviously, you know, a man with a huge amount of talent. He's played some brilliant games for us this season. But sometimes I think he he go. Well, I was going to say goes missing. He just seems a little bit anonymous in games at times. Um, so he, 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 probably, given the choice, I'd have kept him on the pitch. Um, and then Eddie brought on. A phobe, didn't he, and dropped King yeah, that's right. back into kind of the number 10 role. King was in the press today saying that he prefers the number 9. I prefer him in the number 9 as well. I think his speed yes. asks a lot of questions of the defence. And, you know, phobe doesn't have that kind of speed. And I, I'd probably, if I was the manager, I'm not, but if I was the manager, I'd have brought perhaps Gosling on and, and left King up front on his own. But that wasn't what Eddie decided to do. But I do think that affected our, our ability to stretch City as well. Yeah, so, I mean... What about Raheem Sterling then? Because it seems that every time we play City, <laughs> the boy goes and scores. In fact, I'm reading some stats here. He scored five Premier League goals against Bournemouth, the most he has against a single opponent. And given that, you know, we've only played Manchester City for two seasons, um, it's actually quite a, a scary thing. But he always seems to score against us. And could, I mean, w- with that goal where he sort of ghosted in at the far post, is there any blame that you could lay at any of the AC Bournemouth defenders? Well, we're a little bit, bit unlucky because um, Cook was throwing one of his heroic yeah, blocks, and right. and it just he just didn't quite get it right, and it just deflected into Sterling's path. I don't think it was actually going to Sterling. It certainly wasn't going to drop in front of him so so sweetly from his point of view. Mm. Um, and so he just fell to his feet, and it, it it was an easy finish. I mean, you're right about the goals. He even scored, I think, a couple of times in the League Cup tie when he was with Liverpool as well. Yeah. I I think we struggle with his pace because there was a couple of questionable offside decisions that he was involved in in the game against City. And um, I think we do. He is very, very quick. And we've we've struggled to kind of keep up with his pace and playing the offside and he's springing the trap and all that sort of thing. Um, He scored a hat trick in the game, first game up at City, didn't he, last season? Um, yes, yeah, so it's a bit of a nightmare to play against, and for us anyway. He's obviously another one that doesn't always do it every week, but he doesn't seem to have any any problems against us. But in terms of the goal on the night, I I wouldn't really blame anybody for it. He, he got lucky. I mean, you have to be there 
Um, Cook had made a block just before that, which had made a difference. But, you know, his his luck was, was Steve Cook's and our bad luck, and that was pretty much all there was to I thought. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So some tweets also came in from Patrick Devitt, who said, Mings was poor off the bench for Fraser, but I'm not expecting much from him. He's not Premier League ready. Jordan Ibe's pace was great. Today was the first time I've actually thought he can be a real game-changer for the Cherries. Arta Boric was better today, he said. Neither goal was his fault, plus he made some quality saves. He finished by saying if the Cherries can hang pretty close with Manchester City, they should have no excuses against the bottom half of the Premier League table. Now, interestingly, it actually, I mean, even though Bournemouth would be putting a good performance in the first half and in the second half, they, you know, they did sort of relatively well. According to the um, Opta Joe, it was only until the 67th minute where we actually registered our first shot on target. Um, does it, you know, does that worry you? Oh, definitely. Um, uh, you need to be registering shots on target. We didn't have enough. We had. A, we looked all right. We were playing quite well. The expectation was for us to have to perhaps catch them on the break or uh, you know use King's pace, which we which we lacked after after Jack Wilshire went off, and and you know to sort of play almost like the away team in that yeah. sense. Um, but, but yeah, we, it would have been nice to get more shots on target. I think we probably would have done, as I've already alluded to, if King had of had of stayed up front on his own, or maybe partnered a phobe, but Eddie didn't do that. Um, but King's, I think, scored four goals in the past six games. That's correct, yeah. We're not, yeah, we're not uh, obviously registering enough shots on target if we're only registering one in a game. We'll have to see what happens going forward. I can see Eddie picking King up front for the next game if he's fit. Uh, West Brom, well, they, they're doing well, but um, you know, you'd hope they'd be vulnerable to a bit of pace. Um, Man United, I'm not so sure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, I mean, when you were there, I mean, I was there of course, um, as well, of course, and uh, there was a lot of criticism of the referee. But when you look back at some of the decisions, you think, well, actually, you know, he was justified in many of them. Were there any uh, decisions that you've maybe seen back afterwards and still think that Swarbrick um, perhaps made the wrong decision? Because there was, just reading through the Twitter timeline at the time, there, were, <laughs> there was a lot of vitriol being aimed his way. Yeah, well, there was the offsides, which I mentioned, which I haven't seen back since, but I did think at the time, you know, the linesman, the refs relying on the linesman for those. Uh, and if the, if the linesman's got it right because they've sprung the trap because they've got pace, then it looks, especially if you're a, you know, a Bournemouth fan, that Sterling or Aguero or whoever is offside. But, you don't always follow the run of the player and actually see the, you know, the second or two before the ball's played because you're looking at the ball and you're not looking necessarily at the forward or whoever's you know, running onto the ball that's being played. So I'm assuming that they were tight, but probably right. Um, the only other one, I think, which probably did set the Twitterati on fire uh, in rage was the goal that yeah. King scored. But if you see it back... Uh, like I said, there's a bit of confusion over whether it's the linesman or the ref or exactly what happened. Uh, I've read somewhere that a suggestion that the, you know the City players would basically talk them into giving the foul afterwards. But when you see it back, Josh King did pull him back. Oh, yeah. So I would have been delighted if Swarbrick and the linesman had missed that and we'd have got the goal. I wouldn't have cared if 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 um if King had have you know fouled him or not. Oh, no, but. It was, it was the correct decision within the laws of the game, clearly. So, I, to be, I've got no complaints about about the ref, really. 
No, that's right. So Steve Phillips <clears throat> was said that even with our obvious defensive frailties, I th- I still think Steve Cook has been arguably our best player this season. I, I do agree with that, actually, Steve. Um, and, well, I, I mean, there have been so many tweets uh, that we're going to be going through a bit later on as well. But um, it seemed to be that the mood was, yeah, I mean, it was a much better place to be looking at Twitter at full time. Although some people um, were wearing their negative hats, even when Pep Guardiola went over to Harry Arter to, you know, to say what he had to say. Uh, now, obviously, the Sky TV cameras were sort of roaming around, and uh, in effect, it, it it turns out that you know Pep was, uh, you know, offering his condolences, but also congratulations for his ensuing arrival, which obviously happened on Thursday, Friday, end of last week. But even still, even still, you just wonder what these people are drinking sometimes. Even still, there were some people who were criticising Pep and saying, it's all for show. <laughs> What's your thoughts? Was that, you know, was that a genuine touch from Mr. Guardiola? Um, it was only when you messaged me today to say that there was some thought that Guardiola had done it for show that I even realised that had been suggested. I, I think it's um, it's a bit much, really, to accuse him of doing that. I mean, you could say, oh, well, you know, he could have done it in the tunnel or whatever, whatever. But, I mean, what's the problem? Yeah, that's you know, right. He, he went up to a man who'd had, you know, a significant personal tragedy last year, was looking forward to, you know, a big um, moment in his, in his personal life, which has obviously happily occurred now. And, and just, you know, said a few a few kind words. It was only because the cameras were following. I mean, we've got no idea what they say to the players after. We don't know, you know, the half of it. And, and so it seems like you're really sort of digging for fault if you're criticising him for doing that. It's just, I mean, what is the problem? It wasn't like he, he said anything negative. You know, I guess, I mean, Guardiola, I've got mixed feelings about him. Mm. He came over as this kind of messiah, like, you know, football messiah, and, you know, City have won the league. And I do remember thinking at the time, well, you know, he, he has to prove it in the Premier League. He's obviously done well elsewhere, which, you know, you could argue some of those leagues are of a higher quality than the Premier League. He's certainly done the business in Europe as well. Mm. But it's just a different... It's just a different game over here. And I thought, what well, you know, is he really going to just walk into it uh, and and be able to do do the business? I mean, some managers do. Conte has at Chelsea. But, um, you know, and, and, and I didn't really know much about Guardiola's personality. Like, we've seen the toys come out of Pran a couple of times yes, when yeah. things haven't been going so well and he's been put under pressure by the media as well. But the thing with Harry Arta, I've got absolutely no problem with that. I thought it was, I thought, I thought it was a nice touch. Yeah, no, I did as well. And I, I do agree with what you said about Pep because he, at the end of the day, when you're managing Barcelona and Bayern, those are, those are well-oiled machines as soon as you took them over. And I thought, you know, even Manchester City were in a relatively good place. I did sort of wonder how he would do. And, you know, on some occasions, he has been found out somewhat this season. And last, last night, as I was alluding to earlier, it was, it was an entertaining game. Yeah, City rolled out. Five three winners against Monaco, but oh, it was it was just absorbing. One of these, ma- I switched on about uh, after about sixty minutes, and it and it felt like I'd watched about twenty goals. It was just it was just end to end. It was really good stuff. But that you know, some defensive frailties are there, and John Stones as well. He gave away um, the goal to for Monaco to make it three two. 
to them and uh he made a right old blooper and i sarcastically tweeted uh about john stones being worth 50 million how much is steve cook worth and that got a fair <laughs> few bites not not entirely my intention but overall for afc bournemouth this season uh, there was an interesting tweet from ff S. Boric Cameron on Twitter, who said, people who say staying up would be a success clearly have no ambition. £50 million spent to go just sideways is unacceptable. Um, you know, if we if we finish in the same position and the same place as last year, surely that's a success, isn't it? Oh, I definitely think it is, especially if you look at the situation now. I think that there was a, a time maybe over Christmas we were up like just nudging the top half 10th 9th i think we got up to at one point and you know people were thinking oh well you know we're going to be absolutely fine here we could actually finish in the top half and you know even the word europe was mentioned although Mm. it seems a bit laughable now but in some ways you know the reality has dawned in 2017 and you know we've struggled and you have to remember what we are and where we've come from and there is, in some ways, a a kind of ceiling to what we can achieve yeah. in respect of the size of club we are, the kind of players we can attract, and so on and so forth. I mean, there's no there's no ceiling to the ambition of the people inside the club. It doesn't seem Eddie Howe, um, Demin, the American guys. Although I think I'd like to hear a bit more from them. Yeah. And um, obviously, Jeff Mostyn does his bit. Yeah. Uh, uh, but um, yeah, I mean, if you take it at sort of look at the reality and how smaller clubs have achieved in the Premier League before. This is probably, you know, the most, well, not the most, but certainly something that we should be satisfied with if we can stay in the division. And and looking at, you know, the situation, I think we've got 26 points and there's 13 games to go. I'll be more than happy to finish 17th place now. So we'll just have to see have to see what happens. In terms of the ambition, it's all well and good. You know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But um, there's a whole lot that has to be put in place. At least, you know, not not least of which is is the stadium. That's not going to happen yeah. overnight. And to achieve those things, we kind of need to stay in the Premier League. Because you can see if we do go down, you might not hear a lot more about that stadium for quite a while. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, it's very interesting. Well, fingers crossed, it's all going to start on Saturday with three points. So later on, myself and Michael will be previewing the tussle against West Brom, and it'd be great to come away with a win at the Hawthorns. But before that, I'm just going to pop into the glass booth for all the latest news. AFC B-Club News. Rachel and Harry's new delivery. So as baby rain reaches a full seven days on this planet, Back of the Net was absolutely delighted at the news revealed by Harry Arter on Instagram last week, where he revealed the birth of his daughter, Rain Rene Arter. The Republic of Ireland International became a father last week after his partner Rachel gave birth to a new baby girl. Tweets of praise came in from far and wide following the announcement and our number eight also trended on Twitter as the footballing world came together to give congratulations to the pair after what has been a very difficult 14 months for the couple. Harry wrote, A rainbow baby is the understanding that the beauty of a rainbow does not negate the ravage of a storm. When the rainbow appears, it doesn't mean the storm never happened or that the family is not dealing with its aftermath. 
What it means is that something beautiful and full of light has appeared in the midst of the darkest clouds. Congratulations again, guys. Stephen goes green in bizarre attack. In a ludicrous attack on AFC Bournemouth, a controversial right-wing evangelist, Stephen Green, who leads a very minor movement called the Christian Voice, attacked the club for what they call the promotion of homosexual propaganda to children. Stephen, who has coyly avoided a number of direct questions sent to him via Twitter about his inexplicable article, went on to say that the co-sponsors of the school's out event, which raises awareness of LGBT issues, were contributing to the messing up of kids' lives. He went on to make some crass remarks about club photographer Sophie Cook, the comments of which we'll simply not give any airtime to due to them being ill-thought-out and plainly wrong. The UK Christian Voice, which is essentially a one-man band and is run from some sordid little grief hole in Wales, has since piped down about AFC Bournemouth on his blog as the backlash he faced online from Cherries fans, Christians, atheists and a lot more besides was rather vociferous and obviously too much to handle. Green, who has previously been interviewed by the BBC over his views on Elton John becoming a father, has approved of the death penalty for gays and lesbians. His ex-wife has also spoke to a national newspaper about the fact that he frequently beat her and her children. He brainwashed them and forced them to live in a dilapidated caravan in remote Wales to protect them from the so-called evil of urban life. So... Which parable in the Bible does it say that's okay, Stephen? Well, I attended the very open and inclusive faith and football event recently at Dean Court, and it was a packed-out affair at the Balfour Suite that saw Benicophobe, Cyril Regis, and many more besides chatting to the crowd in what was a great atmosphere and a chance for people to convey that true and authentic faith can very much play a part in football today, whereas yours is nothing but archaic and unhinged. Jog on. Big boots to fill, but King's up to the task. Josh King knows that he has big boots to fill following Callum Wilson's loss to injury, and with the goal machine set for a lengthy spell on the sidelines, having suffered a similar fate to his other knee in training last month, our Norwegian marksman, who has hit four out of his six goals this season in the Cherries' past seven games, says he's confident as the end of the season melee begins. He told the Daily Echo, I'm confident in the team. I've been playing the number 10 role for most of the season and sometimes on the wing. The manager knows my favourite position is the 9, and I think I showed that last season as well, but we have so many good strikers. When he asks me to play 10, it's not like I'm angry or anything, because I just want to help the team. If the manager thinks I'm helping by playing as a 10, then that's what he wants and what he believes in. Unfortunately, we've lost one of our main players to injury, so... It's going to need other people to step up, like we did last season. Come on, Josh. Notch a couple against the baggies. Back of the net need you. You're listening to a free podcast that is produced after each and every Bournemouth game, highlighting the highs and lows, okay, more recently the lows, of Cherry's adventures in the Premier League. Now, originally created by Sean Barker and Sam Davis, we're looking to expand the team ahead of next season to have regular and lengthy contributions. Already, we've been joined by the excellent Michael Dunn from the All Departments podcast, but we are looking for, deep breath, match reporters, co-presenters, feature writers, preview panellists, 
and on-the-spot fan interviewers. No podcast experience is necessary, and you don't have to worry about editing your own recordings either. We're looking forward to making the podcast bigger and better for next season, and if you can get involved, then send us an email to fans at afcbpodcast.com, or just give us a call on 01202 90 10 48. We can provide the equipment, and remuneration will be small, but possible. But above all, it's a cracking thing to put on your CV, to be a regular contributor to a podcast which week in, week out, is downloaded by cherries and football fans across the globe. We can't wait to hear from you. So that's the latest from in and around the Vitality Stadium. And in the last piece, yeah, please do get involved with Back of the Net. We would love to hear from you. So send us an email or give us a call because uh, next season we want more people involved. Now, uh, another bit that is uh, non-AFCB news, but it's been... Well, it's been sort of taking the world by storm over the last few days. Well, it's been the FA Cup, actually, because Michael was romanticising about the FA Cup uh, <laughs> not so long ago when saying that he gets all sort of dewy-eyed when talking, you know, when talking about it and even thinking about, you know, sort of getting to Wembley. Um, and Lincoln did incredibly well when they played Burnley with that last-minute goal that's put them into the quarterfinals. And that, for me, was just a, a fantastic moment where, you know, David did beat Goliath and Burnley put out a full-strength side as well, pretty much. But then, you know, a day or two later, you get uh, you know, Sutton entertaining Arsenal. And again, it was built up to be, um, you know, the big match. But um, sadly... Not many people are now talking about the football side of things, and they're talking about Pygate. And I'm sure you all know about it already, but um, there was effectively a bet that had been sort of put out there by the Sun, Sun Bets, 8-1 to one for Wayne Shaw, their reserve goalie for Sutton, to eat a pie during the match. And sure enough, on about 85 minutes, Sutton were losing 2-0 at this stage, so it didn't it didn't really matter, but the cameras panned onto the dugout, and there he was, stuff in his face with what turned out to be a pasty but then all sorts has gone on from that as you know Michael uh, I mean what are your thoughts about it there's been plenty of chatter in the media Gary Lineker has been getting involved Piers Morgan I mean what are your thoughts about the whole charade um there's been a, yeah there's been a pretty uh, significant but mixed response to what happened mm. um <laughs> I mean I'm certainly um on the side of the goalie uh you know the guy has been plucked from obscurity mm. and set up by this you know huge media organization with this betting arm who've yeah. come into his little club and you know they've just essentially used him for their own gain um and also he's been a figure of fun you know mm. they've not just the sun, but, you know, the media in general have had a good laugh at this roly-poly goalie, yeah. you know, with no, he sort of just had to take it on the chin and he has taken it and, and been a good sport about it and all that sort of thing. And then they offer this ridiculous bet, which is like, you know, the easiest thing in the world to fix mm. in terms of eating a pie. And it's it's completely transparent. Uh, it's not like these things where, I don't think they offer this anymore, but, you know, there's a, there's a, 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 a 
a throw-in in the first 10 seconds yeah. of a match. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, and, and also, it's, it's not happening on the field of play, which certainly reduces its seriousness in my eyes. Yeah. And, and so he, he, he has, you know, he thinks, right, well, I'm, I might as well have a go at this. I don't even know if Sunbet put him up to it. They might have done. Mm. You know, there could be other stuff going on in the background. Yeah, that's true. And then a few, a few of his mates had a punt on it and probably made about... I don't know, a couple of grand between them or whatever. And and then he's he's turned into this like this uh, man who's committed this really serious crime and you know almost nothing could be worse. Uh, and 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 the worst of all is he's he's lost his position yeah. at the club which I suspect he didn't see coming cuz he wouldn't have done it otherwise. But uh, I think well, I mean some people are treating it in people just 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 need to lighten up over it. It's, it it it, it I've also seen the the opinion that well, if he knew the bet was on, mm. which he did, and he hadn't eaten a pie, is that not doing exactly the same thing? Because then he's also fixing the bet, isn't he? Yeah. So the guy couldn't the guy couldn't win either way, and in fact, he's he's pretty much lost out big time, hasn't he? Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's a financial implication, you know, whichever yeah. way. Um, you know, whichever way he was going to act. I mean, the fact that he knew about this bet itself puts him in a puts him in a real like pressure cooker situation. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure he was getting texts from his mates. You know, go on, have a scoff of a pie and all this kind of stuff. I mean, he <laughs> he showed himself to be a good sport at half time. He went into the clubhouse and um, had a photo with a few people. But I just feel really sorry for the guy, and I, I actually think it's very irresponsible of some bets to actually. Uh, sort of have a bet like that because their their sponsorship of the match was clearly evident because they had banners absolutely everywhere, and um, yeah, I you know I just yeah I do feel genuinely very very sorry for the guy. It's a shame that is now um, marred almost uh, you know Sutton's FA Cup because they had such a good campaign and they did and they put in such a shift. Um, against Arsenal, and they and they were really unlucky, sort of not to score. But that's the sort of one thing now that people are, you know, people are talking about, and it does feel as though the fun has maybe gone out of like football with things like that. It's it's not an important issue at the end of the day. I mean, as you said earlier, um, in terms of the throwing in the last, in the first sort of ten seconds, I always remember that story that Matt Letizia was telling. Um, that uh, this was a number of years ago, obviously, but uh, there was something going on to that extent whereby if there was a throw-in in the first sort of ten seconds, there was a lot of money to be won. So Southampton mm. had kick-off, and he, he booted it, but he didn't boot it far enough. So <laughs> he was basically chasing the ball down for the, like, the next five seconds, trying to get the ball out of play. Um, <laughs> I don't think it actually happened in the end, but uh, I was surprised he came out with it in the end. But, that, yeah, it's... It's taken away a you know a bit of the fun for me, but uh, are you um, speaking of the FA Cup? Are you uh, you know have sort of given your feelings for the competition? Are you sort of jealous of teams like Lincoln who are having having their sort of day in the limelight with their quarterfinal appearance? There, who are they playing? Is it Arsenal? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, jealous. Well, I'm, I'm jealous of anyone that's still in the competition. Mm. I think uh, obviously you know Lincoln's the fairy tale story. They're getting uh, the reward of a trip to, to to the Emirates. That's a big pay. I think that's one of the most valuable grounds to visit in the FA Cup because of the, the ticket prices and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, but I, I, I mean, my main feeling is I wish we were still in it. I wish we were still competing for the trophy um, because, you know, trophies are forever. If you've won a trophy, that's forever, isn't it? And, and it doesn't sort of diminish ever. That will always be something that the clubs achieve. You hear, you hear. Um, I mean, obviously we're not in this uh, 
in this echelon yet, but you know, he jokes about uh, Alexis Sanchez regaling his grandchildren with stories of, of top four finishes whilst he was at <laughs> Arsenal. You know, it's, it's it's all well and good, uh, and I, you know, I, I want us to avoid relegation, yeah. but um, yeah, I mean, uh, I to, to win a cup would be amazing and the FA Cup would be top of my list definitely yeah well who knows maybe next year Eddie will put out a full strength side who knows but (laughs) we're back to the league on Saturday travelling to the Hawthorne so coming up next on Back of the Net it's our preview of the match 3 o'clock Saturday against West Brom hi this is Steve Persis you're listening to Back of the Net So, as regular listeners of the show will know, seemingly every week I tout the fact that Bournemouth can get their first Premier League double of the season, and, uh, well, our our first Premier League double ever, and um, we have an opportunity once again on Saturday, because we beat West Brom the first time, I think it was that Callum Wilson little cheeky flicked goal, we won 1-0 at Dean Court, and we're at the Hawthorns on Saturday in what Sean described as well he didn't describe it as a a must win game but he said you know we've got X amount of games left this season five of them are against the top five sides that leaves eight or nine matches and one's against Saints and you start to narrow it down you think right we've only got a certain amount of games where we can pick up points this for him was one of them is this is this a must win game for you Michael? Um, must win. Well, they're all must win, but we're not going to win all of them. Um, It's a game that you look at and think we've got a chance. But I think that's, or my feeling that we've got a chance is based on West Brom historically being um, a side that has patchy form. So ups and downs and usually finishes, you know, like 15th or something like that. And also we've got a good record against them. We beat them in the League Cup a few years ago um, and we've beaten them home and away in the Premier League, although not in the same season um, so far. And we drew with them, I think it was the last home game of last season. So they they haven't beaten us for quite a while. I hope that's not going to put the voodoo sign on us. (laughs) I went to the game at the Hawthorns last year. It was brilliant. Oh, yeah. Uh, We we, we won 2-1, a late goal from... From Charlie Daniels, it's fantastic. It was, I think, it was the third win in a row. We beat uh, United and Chelsea the previous two games, um, but they're playing much better this season. They got 37 points. Uh, they haven't lost in the last four games. Um, he seems to have largely the same squad. Um, they've got that. I've forgotten his name, but the Scottish lad that plays uh, up front, or and he's been doing really well and. I hadn't really seen much from him before, but he seems to be getting, you know, getting the team to play really well with much more consistency. Um, hopefully they will do what West Brom normally do and have a dodgy result against us. That would be very welcome. They've got 37 points, as I said, so <laughs> I'm kind of clutching at straws here, but hoping they're going to think, well, there's loads of the season left. We can relax a little yeah. bit now. Um, and, you know, we've had this, I don't know what, I don't know what West Brom have been up to during this, uh, this FA Cup break, but they, um, you know, we've been to Madrid and we went to Dubai last season. It seemed to have a bit of a negative yes, effect, that's right. but we've all got an awful lot more to play for now. I think, um, there's been a lot of bullish talk coming out of the camp. Uh, I think you mentioned about Josh King saying to step up, uh, 
you know, to fill a Wilson's shoes and all that sort of thing. We had Charlie Daniels earlier in the week talking about they didn't want to tarnish the legacy and, you know, see the team get relegated. And uh, most of all, Steve Cook saying it, we're now engaged in a fight to the death yeah. uh, until the end of the season, which I actually quite like to hear. Well, it sounds a bit a bit over the top. It's, you know, it's, it's, it, it's indicative of the of the um, the determination within yeah. the camp. So hopefully we'll see some of that fighting spirit of the Hawthorns. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, was it against uh, West Brom away last year where Adam Smith uh, riled one of their players and then he got them sent off and then managed to score? W- was it that match? I cannot remember. Yeah, yeah, it was um, uh, the Irish fella. I can't remember his name. He's yeah. always popular with, with the English fans because of his... Um, his union, uh, his, uh, nationalist leanings. Um, yeah. and he, he, um, yeah, he, <laughs> he just lost his head. He, did he ran about 30 yards, <laughs> but the ball had gone and he just, it was a nasty challenge. Yeah, where, it was. Um, his leg was up, it, he'd lifted it and so he didn't catch it when his, you know, foot was planted and he was just straight. I, I was 80 yards away from that and you could see it was a, a, a straight wedge long before the ref had pulled the card out and, um, and then, yeah, Smith scored. That's right. Yeah. He scored in the second half. And, um, and then they, they equalized. I think maybe it was Olsen that equalized. He was a yeah. bit of a brute throughout the game. And then, um, and then Charlie got, we got a penalty. And what um, a penalty it was. Yeah, it was, well, he's, he's had a few. Most of them seem to hit some of the woodwork and going back. <laughs> that was the one with the, um, with the blue, plastic bag that yes. was sort of blowing around and then was held aloft oh afterwards. that's it and Pewey um, pulled it away <laughs> didn't he just before he stepped up yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it I yeah, remember now so, yeah no, it's brilliant I mean it's always it's, it's always great to go away and win it's, you, you can't beat it really so hopefully there'll be more of that this week yeah well West Brom's form has been, it's been alright really I'm just looking back through their results and they haven't lost a game um, against, uh, well, I'm saying a non-sort of top five club because I mean they did lose uh, 4-0 to Spurs in January and before that they lost to Arsenal and to Chelsea, Man United. But you're sort of looking back and they they haven't lost against a sort of what I would call a second string side for a long time. Even you know, well, Bournemouth's probably you know the last team that did that and that was back in September the 10th so they're on a yeah as you say a decent run now um, Madrid the Bournemouth players have been out there hopefully as you say it's going to sort of do them good um, do you know much about uh, I know Harry Arter I you know, didn't travel because of um, the birth of rain but um, injury wise do you know anything about what's going on I know you've always got your spies out Michael <laughs> Um, not really, no. Uh, I know Francis travelled, but I saw him getting off the coach somewhere. I imagine that was in Madrid on one of those little YouTube clips they put out. Um, but I didn't, there was a couple of training videos. I didn't see him in either of those. If it's the hamstring, which it appears to be, then that normally is like a minimum of three weeks. Yeah. So I suppose it depends how bad it is, but obviously he was well, rush back, but he came back in for the City game after the Everton match when he had to go off at half-time. I thought that Eddie had just withdrawn him because he was having a poor game, but it turned out he was actually injured. Um, and then he pulled it against yeah. City again. So he might need a, another week's rest. Um, Jack Wilshire, I don't remember seeing him on any of those video clips, uh, but I did read somewhere that the, the injury wasn't as bad as first feared. Mm. So hopefully... He's all right. 
Uh, everybody else, as far as I know, is fit, but you don't actually know until Eddie names the team because sometimes somebody like Charlie Daniels just disappears from the squad yeah. because they've picked up a knock in training or whatever. But, you know, I don't, I'd, I'd be surprised if we saw Francis, although it's possible. Um, and I, I'm expecting to see Wilshire back in the team. Um, I don't, I'm not aware of anybody else that is, um, I mean, obviously you've got people like Callum Wilson who are going to be out for ages, unfortunately. Yeah. But none of the sort of shorter term ones, I'm, I'm not aware of any others that would be what you might describe as, uh, you know, first teamers. Hmm. Sam Summers123 on Twitter has named his uh, preferred team lineup for Saturday with Boruch in goal, defence of Smith, Cook, Mings and Daniels. That's assuming Francis is uh, out of action. And then Arthur and Sermon in the middle, Fraser, Wilshire, Pugh and Josh King. Interesting there, Sam. But, Michael, uh, I'm going to ask you to predict. It's so difficult considering we don't know who's going to be playing or you know what state of form West Brom are going to be in. But have you got any... Any idea how this is going to go? Go on, make a prediction. <laughs> <laughs> I hate doing this. You're sorry. Uh, I'll go for a, go for a draw. I quite often say nil nil because that's the only the only score you can guarantee. Yeah. But um, I don't think it will be nil nil. So I'll go for one all. Um, obviously, I hope we win. But an away point would feel like a minor triumph. Uh, if we do draw away, it'd be nice to get you know, a late equaliser, so it kind of feels a bit more like a win yeah. and, and, and boosts us up a bit. Uh, yeah, so um, I wouldn't... I'm not picking the team, but I'd actually give Ibe a, a starting position yeah, ahead of Pew. Yeah, me too, actually, me too. Uh, I think Ibe's looking better. He's not there yet. Um, Eddie always always emphasising how young he is. I think he's 21 now. He was, I think he might turn 21 recently. And I, I, I was never anywhere near to being a professional footballer. When I look back to what I was like at 21, mm. you sort of think to yourself, yeah, maybe I wasn't maybe listening as well as I should have been to people <laughs> yeah. who actually knew what they were talking about. Um, and uh, But I think the penny's starting to drop, and he did play better mm. against City. And also, I, Pew, I like it when he comes on. And I, I think he should be the first uh, winger to come on as sub because I always think he puts in a good shift coming off the bench. Yeah, he and he always asks questions of the defence with the old Mark Pugh turns and all that kind of thing. And he always seems to do well. But yeah, apart from now, I pretty much agree with what Sam said. I don't know if it, I'd probably play the five-man midfield mm. with. So I don't. I mean, Sermon's been in for a lot of criticism, but I don't think Eddie will drop him. Arter and Wilshire as well, and then definitely King up front. So, and yeah, like you said, Mings, we haven't really got any choice if, if Francis no. is injured. Mings is, you know, the only guy to come in and he's going to improve, but he's been asked to, he's been asked to sort of climb up that very steep learning curve at the moment and it's not easy. Mm, I'm hoping it's a confidence thing with Mings and, you know, one good game and then he'll just, you know, stride into the next game um, and play out of his skin. We can, we count, who knows? Well, you've gone for a one all. Uh, for me, I actually agree with you. Um, I can't see a win, but uh, I don't know. My head's my head says one all, but I'm going to go with my heart. So um, it's going to be our first Premier League double, Michael. I'm going to go for two one to AFC Bournemouth. <laughs> Watch this space, Just like last year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, that's that'd be fantastic. Who knows? Hi, this is the Biggin, and you're listening to Back of the Net. So that just about wraps up another episode of Back of the Net. But before we go, uh, of course, we had Do You Remember at the start of the show. And uh, in case you've forgotten, this was the bit of commentary we played out earlier. Jerry's with an excellent set-piece opportunity here. 
to find the back of the net and break the deadlock. Still Jan Kermigant's not happy with where the wall are. Who's taking charge of this then? Kermigant runs up to it. It's him. It's over the wall. Yeah! It's a Jan Kermigant beauty. It's an absolute pearler from the Frenchman. David Stockdale took off. And now 2,000 Cherries fans are taking off. Out of their seats. Into the aisles. Kermigant a quiet game. But a big goal. 1-0 Cherries. Big 10 minutes this in the context of the Cherries season. Halford with an awkward looking challenge. Wilson checks back onto his left foot. Room to shoot. Back onto his right. Still room yes. to shoot. And surely that's enough. Surely that's enough for the Cherries to go four points clear at the top of the championship as Callum Wilson run for it's David Stockdale and the Cherries have some clear water along the water. So that's Chris Temple describing a couple of goals there. But Michael, what goals were they? And... Uh, well, can you guess which match it was? I'm pretty confident. I think it was Brighton away, uh, the season we won the championship. Yeah, well done. Uh, is it the Amex? <laughs> I remember watching it at my, my elderly Spanish neighbours. We've got a really nice couple living next door. Uh, they're Spanish. Uh, the guy loves his football. He invited me in to watch it. And uh, I think he was a bit surprised when I was... Uh, losing control of my emotions as the goals were going in. <laughs> yeah, I think it was about sort of April, March, April time, and yeah, another important win on the road to glory. Yeah, that's right. Well, well done, and I hope you got that at home as well. We'll have another Do You Remember same time next week. Now, hopefully, Sean will be back for next week's show, but if not, Michael, we may have to call upon your services, but I just want to say thank you very much once again for uh, for stepping in. Always a pleasure, Sam. Really glad, glad to come on. Great stuff, great stuff. Well, again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to check out our website, it's afcbpodcast.com where you can check out all our shows and also check out the video section as well because we've got the best of AFC Bournemouth content from around the globe that's going onto our videos page. So that's official videos, Matt from AFCB TV, all of the stuff's on there. Check that out. And, of course, if you want to uh, donate as well, why not buy a T-shirt and wear the Eddie Had a Dream masterpiece that Sean's probably wearing right now in bed and, and sweating into. Hope you get well soon, Sean. But anyway, that's been another episode of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Come on, you cherries. You can beat the baggies. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.